Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the BJJ Foxcast. I am your host Alex Martinez and today I am super excited to have Sophia McDermott on the show. Sophia is the f- first female black belt out of Australia. She is a four-time Pan American champion, a world champion, a Nogi world champion, a competitor in NPC misfigure competitions. I don't know how you fit all of that into your life, but Sophia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I want to get right into it and, and talk about, you know, jujitsu from your perspective. And I, I believe, are you a three-stripe black belt? Uh, yes. Yes, three-stripe black belt. So you've been doing jujitsu for a, a while. And and mm-hmm. um, how how did it all start? Where, where did you go from being a gymnast to a jujitsu practitioner? And, and where did that love for jujitsu come from? Mm. Um, yeah, so I was a gymnast. I, I trained pretty seriously um, with my twin sister, actually. And uh, I had to sort of quit earlier. I had a stress fracture on the growth plate. And as long as I was still growing, which is a stunted gymnast you, you keep doing, uh, um, <clears throat> I couldn't keep training. So I felt cheated in a, in what in a way like oh I'm not done I'm not done so I had that fire so I tried a bunch of other sports and uh, then I did my first session of jiu-jitsu and fell in love with it and I knew that this was it I just knew and after my first session because before that I was like oh I don't want to do it Are these guys like crawling around on the floor in pajamas like what <laughs> is this because I'd actually had no exposure to any type of martial arts mm. Um, and then I tried it and it was just so empowering. I'm like, wow, and it's raw and it's real and it's like you can't pretend, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and so um, I made my announcement that I would be the first um, woman from my country to get a black belt. <laughs> I don't know. I just kind of knew it. But everyone else, like they're like, yeah, whatever. Was, was that like Was that like week one of white belt that you made that announcement? Yeah, <laughs> I love it, it really was. And the highest female uh, at that stage was a blue belt, and there were only a few of us. And I think at the time there were only even three or so male black belts, mm. and they'd done their learning overseas and brought the jiu-jitsu back. So it was really, really small. And there were quite a few people training, but it was just lower levels. You know, everyone was white and blue, few purple sprinkling around, and that was it. So me saying what I said was like, crazy like crazy to everyone but yeah yeah i i think i think um you know that was um in 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 those times early 2000 i imagine um when when you started um having a purple belt in your academy was like oh my gosh you know there's an anomaly right they're visiting from somewhere else this is so cool and then when you had a black belt show up you're like oh my gosh this is wild and then you had two black belts rolling on the mat everything stopped right <laughs> Tell me yes. about those days. What, what was that like when you had your first exposure to black belts and, and really got that, that fire in you? Um, I think back in Australia, I really didn't have that exposure, mm. even with the, with the guys. So there, you know, were the head instructors like John Will, who got graded by Professor Hegan Machado. So like, <clears throat> but still being around that, like was still going to the U.S., there's, there's just a lot more in the U.S. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. So so let, let's talk about early competitions. Uh, well, early competition, I imagine there were local things, right? Maybe someone else's academy or a small local circuit that you um, had in Australia? 
it had started to get organized. So the, there was the like IBJJF with the, the Pan Pacifics and the nationals and the state championships. So I did what I could there. So I won the state championships four times, won the national championships four times, won the Pan Pacifics, which is like all the Southern Hemisphere, four times. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and then during that time I started to go overseas and I, I won my first Pan Am championship and that's when, you know, I was like, okay, I feel like a bit of a big fish in a small pond. Let's yeah. let's really step it up a notch and start competing internationally because my first international tournament, I was like, okay, I'm just going to see how I do. Zero expectations. I don't know where to base myself, like at on an international level, like how where I fit. But I was very surprised that I won it, and I'm like, okay, all right, yeah, <laughs> let's talk, Sophia. So no, yeah. <laughs> and what what belt was that when you won your first one? So that was I was my second year on uh, blue belt on okay. the first one, and then yeah. Went on to win another one at Purple and just keeps on going. Yeah. I had my setbacks though. Really had my setbacks. I had during my time in the States, I had some huge injuries. Like what kind of injuries? Uh, complete shoulder separation, the semifinals of the Worlds at Brown. Wow. My clavicle was sticking out. Um, Two weeks before Pan Am's, I don't know. Um, uh, torn cartilage in my rib that set me back six months mm, yeah couldn't even carry a shopping bag so some really big injuries and right before the tournaments too um but i know i'm taking a different direction but this is all i'm speaking of this now while um because it's a big focus on what i do in my online community group for women um is that i realized that i was chronically overtrained and these injuries were happening right before some of the big, big tournaments um, due to my chronic overtraining. And looking back, um, the the chronic overtraining was because I wanted to just win. I wanted to be the best, like I just more, more, more. Let's train more, more, more. Let's harder, let's push. And really it was, if we flip it, it was an act of self-sabotage Whoa. because I knew that I needed to rest, but I didn't. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. this is all a big thing of what I do now in my health and fitness. You know, I'm a functional trainer. I'm a certified nutritionist. And <clears throat> I've got a whole section on there about body balance and overall health and wellness, particularly for women. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I'll let the hard way. Don't, don't follow my footsteps in that. And so now these days as a, as a mom retired from competing, it's all about health mm. and balance. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking long-term, right? Yes. And I think, um, you know, interestingly, jujitsu has taken a bit of a shift and I hope that I've been a little bit part of this shift in the sense of being a woman, like helping women or opening doors just by doing it first or whatever, you know, I'm just, I'm just walking the walk. And, um, there's been a big shift in the last maybe seven years with the master categories really opening up. And um, women at an older age joining and men at an older age joining. Um, so that idea of just being that hot young athlete with no life responsibilities, <laughs> you know, yeah. and no mortgage, no kids, no, 
that is actually sort of going to the wayside a little bit mm. and more established men and women, businessmen and women, parents are starting jiu-jitsu. So the idea of training smart and longevity, that's a real focus now, I think, for everyone with this shift, um, and that's a big focus of mine. Yeah, and it's really hard to communicate that to to uh, I, I call them kids because I have shoes older than some of my students, but <laughs> it's hard to communicate that with them when you know they're they really want to they're there's they're such hard workers and they really want to make a splash and they really want to see how far they can go you know in, in any I'm not not just jujitsu but in any walk of life and there is a level of um diminishing there's a, there's a point of diminishing returns that comes with that right if you're you know I have a student that wakes up a female competitor she she wakes up at you know three in the morning she goes to the gym then shows up for the 6 a.m class then shows up for the evening class and then I don't know if she sleeps and I'm I, I tell her I, I made her promise me and she broke a promise by the way I made her promise me that she would take one full day off okay mm-hmm. so she didn't show up to the academy I was like okay she listened nope she was lifting weights so yeah. I tell that's not a day off yeah. <laughs> that's not a day off I said I want you to sit on a couch and do nothing that's what I want Good. you to do. Yeah, so I, I hope I hope she'll listen. But uh, she might find out the hard way, um, like I did, or like others do. The body has a way of calling the shots in the end. Yeah, and whether it's through an illness or through a hardcore injury, it will stop. Yeah, yeah, it will. Yeah. yeah. So I think you know when you're young, <clears throat> you just bounce back the level of training i did back in my early days was insane i would do like a four-hour tr- gymnastic session and then go and run 12 k's like what <laughs> yeah. um yeah it's just crazy um <clears throat> now after a really hard session you know with the bigger guys i feel it next day i'm like oh, i'm resting yeah you know but um it's it's just about training smarter overall uh, and I think the thing with jiu-jitsu is that it grew organically um, from Brazil, right, where there's not much structure. (laughs) Um, So, you know, like when you've come from an Olympic-based sport like gymnastics where it's very regulated and the training's periodized, so you have your set strength sessions, then you have your set conditioning sessions, then you have your seasons with – your um just your drills and your you're building up your skill set and then you have your competition season it's very much easier to manage your own training and your energy levels yeah um hold on one second i'm so sorry no worries okay okay (laughs) um yes so um and with jujitsu there isn't that structure and there's more and more competitions and tournaments just coming out, being pushed out. So if you don't monitor your own training and your own rest and, and periodize your own tournaments, that's a recipe for burnout. Yeah. And, and you know, with us, the, the Masters competitors, you know, we have Masters Worlds. It's close to, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, close to the end of, you know, September or whatever it was. And then um, you want to shut it down after because we put a lot into it. And especially at our, at our age, you know, it's not easy to put that much into into something. And then you've got Nogi Worlds at the end of the year coming up. And you're like, oh, I really want to do that one. But you, I, I think at some point you're going to have to make a choice, right? One or the other. Yes, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do you, how would you, what would you recommend to master's competitors specifically? Let's talk about them for a minute. Master's competitors that have to make that choice 
for me, Masters Worlds is the only one that matters. <laughs> the only competition that matters. So I, I think I, I've, I've made that choice. I, I think I think Nogi Worlds is going to have to not be a thing for me because I really want to number one focus on business and you know to focus and, and my students, but also focus on you know longevity for myself because you know I I make my living with this old chassis, so I got to take care of it somehow. Totally, yeah. yeah. I, I think it is just making the choice of what's most important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Master Worlds, do it. Yeah. So, so tell me about. I, I believe it is it Sophia Fit. Uh, yes. So I've got a few things going on actually. Okay. Okay. Um. So, yes, yeah, Sophia Fit's my uh, fitness kind of avenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's actually the website is sophiamcdermott.com. Got it. Um, and I have like a fitness membership, but I also have like a um, like a personalized plan. So people come to me, they want to cut weight for their fights or whatever, um, and I guide them through it in a healthy way. But uh, it's amazing what's come my way. I'm like, sorry, dude, I can't help you. Like, yeah. hell no. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to assist you in losing that type <clears throat> of weight that fast. It's not mm-hmm. healthy. Yeah. 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 I've seen, I've seen some, you know, some competitors basically eat their way out of a championship because there's no way they can cut that much weight that they put on. I I mean, let's call it an off season, right? They, they, they took a break or whatever, but some of them come back a little bit heavier than someone like you, who's a, who's a professional, like a a coach that um, sees, and like you said, I'm not going to help you lose 60 pounds in a month. I mean, that's just not healthy at all. Well, yes, but I don't see them as putting on the weight in the first place. It's just they've got unrealistic expectations. Oh, I see. I see. They want to compete in a division that's too low or a fight where their cuts too much. Um, and particularly for women, this is a big thing that I'm I'm trying to undo. There's a bunch of stuff in this sport that I'm like trying to educate people on and undo. Mm. So um, the idea of weight cutting. Man, it makes me angry. I come, I came from a gymnastics background where you just the training's brutal. Our whole group was just ripped. Like, I grew up with a six pack. I still have a six pack. It's yeah. just been my world, right? Yeah. And then people come my way thinking they're doing the right thing because this is the culture for weight cutting. I'm like, oh, why are you doing this to yourself? Yeah. I don't do this to myself and I look like this. So, like, where did this come from? Mm. I see 14 year old girls wearing sweatsuits for two weeks in advance on the treadmill, grinding it out, dehydrating themselves, thinking they're doing the right thing to make weight for their their next jiu-jitsu tournament. Okay, there's so much wrong with this. Uh, firstly, as a 14-year-old girl, the last thing you should be doing is any serious weight adjustments. Like your reproductive system is trying to like get started and figure out what's going on. So any drastic weight cutting, or like that just shuts down your system, Mm. Uh, number one. Number two, uh, weight cutting by cutting your water like way out, like, oh, my God. So they're doing (laughs) the opposite. They're actually training their body to become more efficient at retaining water. Oh, wow. And then weight loss, the fat loss, they're not losing any fat. They're losing water, but it's only temporary because then they're dehydrating themselves. So they're actually in the end not really losing anything because their body's like keeping whatever is there as a survival thing. So they're actually doing long-term damage to their body. And I've seen it over and over and I was like, this is just so bad. Like where did this come from? Why isn't there guidance and education on this? Um, And, you know, it came from 
the bodybuilding industry, it's come from wrestling and it's come from judo, but it's been misconstrued. It's done without proper guidance and proper education. Mm. So, so try and do a lot of that. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute. What, what would you say? I mean, cause I've, I've seen it. I've seen younger than 14 you know, uh, with, uh, with, uh, hoodies under their geese and I don't allow it in my Academy. I don't allow what weight cutting in my Academy by kids. No way, especially young girls. Um, I, I raised good. three young girls and I want them to have a good relationship with food, <laughs> you know, and, and, well, and know, their body and their body. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, to, to parents, like parents who are uneducated in this and what it can do long-term, what would you say to those parents that are, you know, thinking about, well, my, my daughter's on the higher end of this weight class. And if she grows a little bit, she might have to go into the next one. So I'm going to have her cut. That's, that's the mentality that I'm seeing. What would you say to those parents that, that, uh, that are having their kids do that? I, I would in, in, recommend in recommendations. That's what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. I would yeah. recommend that the, uh, parents, have the their child fight in a weight class that they're already at comfortably mm-hmm. so don't cut however because american standard nutrition sucks so badly yeah <laughs> so many people that are you know be overweight let's just try doing a healthy diet long term and then after you know six months on that healthy eating plan let's see where your weight's at yeah yeah. And, and, you know, uh, someone on, the, I can't remember who it was on the show. I believe it was, um, it was a Tiffany Goggin. She was on, she was on one of the earlier episodes. She said, you know, if you're going to change, like, if you're going to have your kid lose a little weight, change their diet and don't talk about it. Not like, oh my gosh, you're eating so healthy. Don't even put a name to it. This is just what we eat now. You know, mm-hmm. and, and I thought that was a, re- a great recommendation, um, especially when you want, you know, you want young kids to have a good relationship with food, like you said, and their bodies and stuff like that. And it's it's very easy for them to fall into like, well, you know, mom and dad said, you know, you know, throw the sweats on and jump on the treadmill. So it, it must be OK. Right. So that's a little pitfall that we run into. Yeah, a bit more than a little. And I find that the parents with the least education on this are the ones that are like suggest well not suggesting it but going along with it yeah 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 it's yeah well uh, but it does <laughs> for women girls particularly it sets up long-term body issues unhealthy issues disordered eating yeah yeah and that's 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 a that's a scary thought um so so you know and along the same lines so let's talk about you know um kids coming up in the, in the sport. And again, I use the kids term loosely, anybody under 30 is a kid to me. So, um, (laughs) but, but kids coming up in the sport, I'm seeing, you know, uh, some trending in, in a way that, you know, uh, like my kids class is, I would say a a good 50, 50 split between boys and girls. Uh, but jujitsu, jujitsu as a whole is not that. Um, and we we were talking about a little bit earlier, about a friend, a friend of mine, um, give a shout out to Kelsey Weissman, she's doing statistics statistic work for a college course that she's taking and she picked the um, master worlds as her, you know, as the, you know, what she's used in stats on. And she says, basically there's an 80, 20 split in male versus female competitors, 80, 20. How do we change that? How do we get it closer to 50, 50? Okay. Well, firstly, I think 80, 20 is generous mm-hmm. and her study on the master worlds is, perhaps not how it is uh, worldwide or USA-wide. Agreed. And the reason is, and we were chatting on this, is because 
more and more uh, seasoned, established women and mothers are starting jujitsu, right? There's just been a shift. So I think that if there's one tournament for uh, older women, when I say older women, the not kids, right, by your category, <laughs> right. Um, to compete in, it's Master Worlds. So I would say overall it's actually less. I would say that the ratio is probably closer to 1585. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that this, well, this is my mission. This is my mission. Um, it's to kind of balance the scales a little bit in jujitsu and <clears throat> basically the, there needs to be more support uh, and gear, things geared in a way that um, allow women to thrive. Mm. So one of the biggest things is having more women in leadership roles, so more female instructors and more female business owners. Um, so I, I'm I'm a big proponent of that. Um, I, I I like um, one of the toughest people I ever worked for in my in my former career was a it was a woman, and she was in the construction industry. And if you know anything about the construction industry, it's probably less than the fifteen the fifteen eighty five in jujitsu. <laughs> but she was really tough, and she didn't. And and it wasn't like she was overtly trying to be tough. That was just her nature, and she was like. Five foot four, maybe 115 pounds. But when she walked into the room, she commanded that respect because she'd been in the industry her whole life. Her dad was in construction. Her great, you know, her grandfather was in construction. So she grew up in this. Um, and when it comes to martial arts, women are not typically the ones that grow up in that. They don't, you know, they're not, you know, raised in that in that gym. So yes, having you know having leaders. Uh, female leaders in, in those roles in the academy as instructors and maybe assistant instructors or maybe, you know, general managers, whatever you want to do. Um, we've got to start somewhere, right? We've got to start somewhere and start raising those. And what is, what would you say is the best way to show uh, women that yes, they can do this. Yes. They can open a jujitsu academy on their own and be successful. What do you think? What do you think we uh, would empower women to do that? I think that uh, it's about seeing it. That's yeah. the best way to show them. Yeah. They need to see it. So guys, supportive men all day can say to them, you should open a gym. You should mm. open a gym. And this actually happens quite a lot around me. Um, and then there's that doubt. Oh, but I'm a, I'm a woman who, who would go to my gym. I'm a woman instructor. Would the guys come? And then with if I'm questioning whether the guys could come, would it – I get enough students to pay the rent and pay the bills. Like, would this be a fruitful business? Um, I honestly think the only way is for those brave women out there who are pioneers in business, uh, they're the ones to crack that glass ceiling and make it possible for the rest of the women to see. Yeah. That, see that it is possible. So it's just like uh, I liken it to the four-minute mile yeah. Right. For, yeah. This record wasn't broken for eons. So it was broken. And then something like one month or six weeks later, it was broken again. Yeah. Right. And it's because of the mindset. The world went, oh, crap, this is possible. Yeah. Okay? So it's just it's concepts and mindset. And honestly, anything is possible in this world. Um, but we create these self-limiting beliefs on ourselves 
we're the ones to say, well, no, we can't do it or no, that's not done or people don't do that or I wouldn't get enough money if I opened a gym as a woman. We're the ones to impose those beliefs on ourselves. So once we see that other women are out doing that, they're running gyms, they're leading, uh, they're running seminars, teaching seminars, you know what I mean, running programs, then then other women are like, oh, yeah, this can be done, it's possible, and then more and more and more. So little girls coming up the ranks, they see females, the females out there teaching, and to them it's just normal. Oh, and you know what else? The little boys moving up the ranks, they see the the females out there teaching, and to them it's just normal. Yeah. So it is slowly changing, and I do hope it gets to a point where it's uh, gender-neutral, and I sort of said that word cringing because I'm actually anti-whole gender neutral I, I know stuff. what you mean. Yeah. I think women need to shine in all their feminine glory, yeah. whatever that is, and men need to shine in all their masculine glory, whatever defines that, right? But I think when it comes to um, playing a role as a professional, whether you're a male or a female is totally and utterly irrelevant. And this is why there's all these issues in the in the workplace, the same thing, you know, g- gender discrimination, all that stuff because it really should be down to performance and nothing else. One hundred percent. And and one thing that I'll share with any any you know any person that's looking to open a, a jujitsu academy, we all have the imposter syndrome. All of us, you know, like for me, I was forty eight years old when I start, when I opened my academy. I'm like, who's going to want to learn from an old person like me, right? But I applied myself, right? I I study like crazy. I make sure that I'm that I'm prepared when I walk in the room. I make sure that I own the room, so to speak, right? With the with the being prepared, and um and I deliver. And then I think about how can I over deliver? And if you just take the focus off gender or, or insecurity and just focus on delivering and over delivering, I think you can overcome a lot of those issues in your head. Well, I think so too. Uh, and you know, when you, you said you just step out into the room and you own it. Mm. So like you're, you're now, um, not covering, but you've worked through insecurity about your age, um, and gone, no, I'm prepared. So now I own it. I know what to teach. I know it's good. And you're doing it with conviction, right? That energy right there, people can feel it. They can yeah. smell it, whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. And so <clears throat> if if you're stepping out there with confidence, um, but genuine confidence, not a false bravado, right? right? The people will respect <laughs> and, and listen. Uh, I, I think that there's been a big shift in the last five years or so. Hear me out. Uh, as this big shift's happened, we've become, our spidey senses have become stronger, like intuition. So gone are the days where someone can like blatantly tell you something or or do something that completely be thinking and feeling the opposite when you're like, oh, no, I think this guy's actually full of crap. Yeah. Right? So with that, people can sense the genuine confidence knowledge and this is the biggest thing care Mm. care so i i haven't competed for a while my last sort of whole season was 2014 i'm like all right i'm gonna do this do what i want to do win what i want to win and i'm done right and then my imposter syndrome a couple years later was coming in because i'm like well i'm not out there competing why would anyone want more seminars with me? Yet the seminar offers kept coming through huge. Like I think I've taught more seminars than any other woman in jiu-jitsu. 
I was on a plane somewhere every two weeks. I've been on a plane somewhere every two weeks for the last eight years. Wow, that's when I don't have my girls, um, like their their dads on the weekend. I'm usually off somewhere. Wow, right? Yeah. Um, and the reason why these offers were coming up, and I was continually asked back, I figured it out, was because I genuinely care. Mm. And you know, the gym owners and hosts would say to me, "Oh, that was an awesome seminar." Um. You know, I've brought out some hot shots guys, you know, with big names. You know, they just show something and go in the corner and gossip or even get on their phone or whatever. You know, people can tell. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so now we're in an age where it's like, it doesn't matter what you've won anymore. That doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what your age is, where you've come from, how many stripes you have on your belt, if any. None of it matters. What matters is, um, how much you genuinely care about what you do and your students learning. I I love that because um, that is so true. I've been to a lot of seminars and um, one of my favorite seminars was my very first one. And the, the reason I remember that seminar so much is because the instructor teaching the seminar continuously walked around and critiqued and fixed and did everything. And it was like, you know, couple by couple by couple, you know, and it was, it was just so he was so into it that it made us get into it even more. It wanted us to ask more questions because we felt free to ask those questions. And Mm -hmm. then I've been on the opposite end where you pay a lot of money for a seminar and the person's on their cell phone, you know, they, they teach a technique and they're on their cell phone looking at stuff and then, okay, guys, bring it in, you know, and then they show you something else and then they're back on their cell phone. You're absolutely right. I, I never, I never thought about why, because the technique was the technique, the technique was good, right? But I never thought about why I didn't like those seminars and why I wouldn't do them again. And you're absolutely right. When somebody really genuinely cares about your learning, you want to apply yourself even more. It's it, it's 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 like any other professor instructor that you'll meet in your life. That's it. And because of our increased spidey senses, mm. we want to be um, we pick up on energy better. But we want to be in a collective environment learning. Yeah. Okay. So if you've got an instructor that's disconnected from the audience, they're not tuned in. And they've chosen not to tune in because, frankly, they don't give. <laughs> they don't care, right. Yeah. Then there's no energy exchange there. The students aren't going to feel it. Um, and yeah, like so with this shift, there's more of a collective um, way of learning. It's it's feedback. It's it's a real experience, and that's why since COVID, the industry of travel, like uh, um, camps and 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 um, I don't know, just experiences, have been the focus for people. Yeah. Right. Because that's been the shift. They want to feel it. Um, and so, yeah. With that said, like if you if your heart is full of like love for what you do and and care and doesn't matter what gender you are it doesn't matter none of that matters so yeah so to cut a long story short i think that's reason why i've been brought back so much and why um you know my women's group is thriving and and people want to be under me when i'm this complete rogue because i genuinely care and i i want to make change for the better yeah Yeah. so so let let's let's talk about that a little bit because you're basically your own association, right? With several women across the country under your, uh, your yes. tutelage. So right? I've had some ups and downs. Um, and 
I've sort of changed my name in the business a little bit and just yeah, changing some business partners things over. Um, but basically didn't really want to be under a guy or under like a, a banner that I didn't fully resonate with. Mm. Um, everything I've done my whole life has been, I've been the rogue. Everything's always <laughs> been different. I grew up always questioning authority and always asking why. I went to a very posh all-girls private school but never wore my uniform and just <laughs> <laughs> went to class if it suited me, didn't ever do it. Just, yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah. just wasn't made for that, the rules. and So, um, yeah, for me to really do something, it has to resonate with me. And I'm like, this whole structure just doesn't resonate with me. It just doesn't feel right. And what, what what is it about the structure, the current structure, where associations and then and then clubs and then all that other stuff? What is it about that that doesn't resonate with you? Um. Well, it's it's a whole patriarchal system. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. You know, and it's it's just been passed down uh, through tradition, but I, I don't know if people are actually really asking why. Right. So. Um. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. There's there's great affiliations and great organizations and stuff. But what resonates true to me, and what I find, what I'm finding more and more, is that it's resonating true for other women. So there's actually a bunch of women in my circle that are like, Sophia, I'm done with being under a male professor. I'm done with the guys. I'm done working for a man. I'm done with this. I want to get my belt from you. So. It's become it's an organic step forward, and my whole career actually has been organic. Um, me running my first lifestyle camp was just organic. I was um, it was a Pan Ams, and a bunch of people in my circle wanted to <laughs> come and see how I lived my life or what I do preparing for tournament. What do I eat? How do we train? Like all my life style patterns and habits, and then in, there were like ten ladies all wanting to come over. I'm like. Okay, well, why don't we make this little camp? And that's yeah. how it started. And I've been teaching these lifestyle camps that have really expanded on the East Coast and West Coast. I've been teaching them for the last eight years or so. Um, so, and now with this, women wanting to be belted under me, they want a female lineage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's um, it's a statement that they're making as well, right? But But I think, unfortunately, a lot of the women have had really bad experiences and i'm just going to say this to start with there are a lot of incredibly amazing supportive men in jiu-jitsu mm -hmm. okay but there are also unfortunately some incredible toxic men mm. and um it's the whole black belt worship thing they've won some titles black belt entitlement people worship them and they just do whatever they want and there's manipulation, there's blackmail, there's the grooming, there's, there's hey, I'll, I'll give you your belt, but you've got to do these privates with me after class. You've mm. got to pay this much money yeah. or you've got to sleep with me or whatever it is. Like it's all come my way. Anything you can think of has come my way through the stories, through the women in the field. There's so much abuse yeah. with, that, with that title and the power that they have. And it's put a bad taste in all these women's mouth, and they're just like, "I'm not, I'm not doing this." So, in some ways, like, uh, I'm, 
like a rescue mission. I don't know. That's not the right. <laughs> but it's like it's like what I offer is what they've they've been looking for. Yeah. Um. I'm one of the first or only women to be doing this. It's just women only. That's 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 fantastic. And and how 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 is that being? I hesitate to ask this question, but how's that being received by the status quo? So it's actually still in its early days. Um, I've recently graded two ladies to a brown belt. There's a black belt who's just switched on to me and, um, you know, other belts along the way in the last couple of years. And I'm, I'm really focusing on making it more official. And like I said, it's been gradual. So it's, I haven't announced it. I haven't gone, Hey, jujitsu world. I'm, grading people when I'm running an affiliation that's women only, that actually hasn't been it. It's been individual women coming to me saying, hey, I want to be under you. Yeah. And then another, and then another, and then another. And so, like, how's it been received? Because I haven't fully announced it um, in a way. I don't really have a lot of feedback, but I do know that the men who are in my circle who have me out for seminars and all that stuff, they are all for it. Yeah. They fully support what I'm doing. Um, and they wouldn't be having me at their gyms teaching seminars for the men and the women to help grow their women's group if they weren't supportive of what I'm doing and the whole idea of, of uplifting women in the first place. Yeah, You don't bring women out to your gym to teach the men if you're not supportive of women in jiu-jitsu. 100%, so, yeah. yeah. Mm. And, and frankly, you know, if there's gyms that aren't or people that aren't supportive of what I'm doing, like they're like not part of my world and they're the ones that are going to be left behind yeah. because I'm part of the new age shift yeah. and I'm doing this by demand as more and more seasoned, um, open, awake, established people and less kids, more, yeah, right, yep. as the shift. This is the shift in jujitsu. Yeah. That's what they're wanting. They're wanting a place for families. They're wanting a place where hubby can come along and learn with with the wife do you know what i mean yeah or hubby goes oh i want to bring my kids into do you know what i mean it's becoming all inclusive this is the shift yeah and so with this i've had quite a few requests in my women's group for the hubbies to come and join in too <laughs> i'm like okay well that's fantastic but um i'll get on to that one just give me a yeah. minute <laughs> yeah yeah so are you are you taking steps towards that i mean is it I'm, oh I'm, yes yeah. I am. okay okay yeah that's mm -hmm. that's really cool so what's happened is, um, and this actually was just very, very recent, is um, my big shift is creating an entire um, certification. So they become lethal ladies certified and then that moves into gyms and then you can open a gym under lethal ladies with this certification. Now, part of the certification, and once again, this is all unfolded due to demand and request, okay? Yep. Um, is that the instructors that are graded under me who are then teaching my curriculum are also trauma-informed. Mm. So what I'm doing at the moment is um, trauma-informed uh, certification. I'm getting fully certified um, to be like a trauma-informed practitioner. Wow. And what that means is that I am trained to detect um, that a woman walks into a, a gym with all these guys, um, I can see it. I'm like, she's and and frankly, just without the training anyway, I could always see it. Um, 
I've run a lot of self-defense courses in my time and I learned, you know, do I have permission to touch you? Yeah. Like you, you say that, like they're there for a reason. These yeah. ladies are there for a reason. And yeah. the amount of trauma that some of them have dealt with has just been like outstanding. So when I was teaching the UFC, I, I ran that program for four years before COVID shut it all down. Wow. Uh, a lady came to me. She she had like knife scars all over her face and her eyes. So she's like, I don't want to live in fear. Yeah. I'm ready now to take charge of my own, like, yeah, my own defense. Like, so yeah, that was, that was one that really stuck. Wow. There's been a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. I, I'd never, I'd never, um, I've never really been familiar with the trauma informed, um, certification. I think that's something that, we should all probably, you know, at least look into if not get certified. Um, but one thing that I do, and you tell me if this is the right thing. One thing that I do is I, I don't, I don't touch any of my students without telling them, right? Like if, you know, if it's really easy to grab their foot and put your foot right here, and, and, but I'll, I'll say it right before I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to grab your foot. Okay. And if they say, okay, I'll do it. Right. If not, they just, you know, that's no, no, just tell me where to put it and I'll tell them. But is that something that is like, is that, level zero, <laughs> right. Of, of that, that type of training, uh, where you ask that permission, like, yes, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know, when you're a woman doing this with a woman that you, there is less permission you need to right. ask right. because yeah. women aren't perceived as the threat. Mm-hmm. Let's face it. Men are the threat in this world. 100%. They are the predators. Yep. All right. You're a mom back turn, putting your little kids and toddlers into the car. You're not worried about a woman going on you're worried about the men yeah. and this is how women live their lives constantly. And most men don't realize it. They're not aware of it. So a classic example is like, yeah, a car park again, a guy comes up to you, but he has no intention other than say, Hey, I saw you before in that shop. I think you're gorgeous. Here's my business card. Would you like to have, you know, meet me for a drink one of these days? But she's not hearing that. Yeah. She's not seeing any of that. What she's going, she's like, crap, there is a guy approaching me in the car park. What do I do? Yeah. And so he comes up to her and starts talking to her. She's not listening to a single word he's saying. But men don't realize any of this because for a woman, their number one default setting, and it just switches on because it's so biologically driven for their own survival, is their safety. So, like, all men need to wake up on this. Men need to understand that pretty much at every single moment that a woman is on her own out and about, especially if she's got kids, she's on with safety. It's there. And so if she's been traumatized or violated, then she steps into a gym um, to learn skills to empower herself so this doesn't happen again. Then she gets a toxic black belt male who operates in a self-entitled way full of coercion, manipulation and and abuse or whatever, doesn't have any awareness like you do to say, hey, can I can I just put your foot there, right? Mm. You know, that is compounding on her trauma. Yeah. And so this is what comes my way. Wow. And it's so disappointing. But these men have zero awareness of anything beyond themselves. There's zero, like, so they can't even imagine what it would be like to be a woman that's been traumatized. And that story that I've just shared wouldn't even remotely enter their head. Mm. Not once. No, I right? mean, I, I can honestly tell you that I, 
other than being afraid of the dark, which I admit I am afraid of the dark. Uh, <laughs> my sister makes fun of me so much anyway, but you know, um, <clears throat> I, I'm, I, you know, if I'm in the parking lot at target and a man approaches me, I'm like, Oh, what's up, man? You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not, uh, you know, of course my, my, my defenses are, are up, but they're not to the point where like, Oh my gosh, this could go really bad. Right. I don't get there. No. Cause you're a man. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's biologically imprinted in us females because we know for biologically that we don't have the same levels of, of ability, capability to defend ourselves in the same way. And we're not um, built in with that same level of aggression and will to fight, right? So you, you get you get a, a man, you, you stun him, uh, maybe slap him across the face. His initial reaction, generally speaking, will be to fight back. Yeah. It's fight, freeze, yep. right? A woman's initial reaction is to freeze, actually. Yeah. And yeah. that's not any help. Right. So, and, and so that's, that's the reality of our world and reality of our life. And what I'm trying to change is that when a woman steps into a jujitsu gym, it is a safe space. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Because she's trying to empower herself and make her life better from yeah. that point of view. And the worst thing that can happen is that that space that she's entered thinking it's a safe space is actually a worse space yeah. and it's even more toxic. Yeah. This is the reality of what's going on right now. And I'm I'm loving this interview because I'm able to share it and build awareness. Like for all the awake men out there, like this is what's happening. So um, it's great that you're providing like the service for women to learn this stuff, but it needs to be a step beyond you need to recognize the signs and like have some basic trauma-informed protocol you know man a few months ago i was rolling with a visiting lady was on mount on her and i started to do a choke now i learned long time ago i roll with men i roll with women very differently to how i roll with men okay i float i just flit around i float i'm because i play this mama bear role and women come to me there's a certain emotional thing going on i can't also be that threat to them does that make sense makes total sense yeah yes okay so i'm comfort for them i'm comfort and knowledge so i roll in a way with them that is comfort and knowledge and not a threat so i'm on this girl and i just floating around on her i'm not being heavy i'm not crushing her i'm not any of that but i start to sort of bring my hands around her neck to set up a choke not that i set up chokes on women either by the way right but i'm setting it up to get an armbar she freezes and has a panic attack underneath me i get off i'm like what's going on she goes well um you know i was choked unconscious by my attacker and blah 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 and this just like what I'm like, okay, did you tell anyone when you walked into this gym? Uh, and she goes, well, no, and I'm embarrassed by it. And so this just opened a whole can of worms. Okay, like for a start, yes, she is embarrassed because it's still the culture that she's the victim. Yeah. And then the male instructors are just like they're not open to actually really listen. A lot of the guys would be like, oh, God, well, she's a pain in the butt. I just I need to focus on teaching class, right? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But this should be a space or where a woman can walk in and say, hey, this is what's happened to me. Um, This is what I'd like to learn or get out of. Like I want to feel empowered and just like can I establish that this is a safe space? So the head coach is informed and, the, the, and then the, maybe the, 
training partners that he's assigned to her are also informed and they know how to roll with her in the way. Yeah. So, and, I, you know, she was just visiting, but, yeah, hats off to her for having the courage to just go with random unknown students with her situation. But yeah. I think if I were her, I would have said something. I'm like, look, this, I've been going through some stuff. I've been through some stuff. Can you not touch my neck when we roll? Yeah. At least yeah. as a bare minimum. Or, or even even if you don't want to go into that, because that's a very intimate conversation to have with someone. Just say, hey, yeah. I, have a, I have a neck injury. Please don't touch my neck. I mean, that's sure. an easier conversation to have with like, you know, a 30 year old man who has no idea what she's gone through or will never have that that concept that you said of being in the parking lot by yourself and, you know, putting the kids in the car, and not having to look over their shoulder. So they, they don't understand that. So there, there's ways to have those conversations without necessarily having the conversation. So it makes it a little yeah. bit easier. Right. Because I think one thing that I really, really dislike about jujitsu, the, 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 the culture in the jujitsu academy is that. I don't roll with that person culture, right? Maybe someone is heavier, right? And they can't move very well. Well, then they're the only one sitting out when everybody has a training partner or somebody has an, an issue like that. They kind of, they have, they have panic attacks. They're the only one sitting out when everybody else has a partner. I need, I need to see a more inclusive environment in my academy because they need the instruction more than that 25 year old, you know, wrestler, former wrestler that's in there, you know, grinding it out. They need, they need to be empowered. They need to be helped. Um, yeah, that's, that's really the environment I'm trying to cultivate. And this is a fantastic conversation. <laughs> you're really helping me a lot today. So I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's why you're, you're one of these awake males. Um, and it's fantastic that you are driven and focused on cultivating that culture. And with all the gyms I've visited, like it trickles from the top down. So the head honcho who's running the show, if he's a douchebag, guess what? The students will be douchebags. Yeah. If he's awesome, guess what? The students will be awesome. Yeah. Cultures are created at every gym. And um, I feel that just by sharing the idea of um, open communication, no judgment, understanding that jiu-jitsu has done this shift so it really is more inclusive, you're going to have that uh, 55-year-old business executive giving it a try, yeah, you know, you, yeah. you're going to have that mother of five giving it a try. This is the shift, right? So there, there needs to be that, um, that understanding that it is inclusive and encouragement. And I, I'd suggest that the instructors themselves pair people up. So yeah. no one's left in the corner. Yeah. Right. Um, that that's probably what I do, but then there's also a space for the 25 year old amazing athlete wrestlers yeah so let's not diss them because i was one of them not the rest <laughs> right i yeah. was one of those yeah. just insane athletes yeah. yeah and and that that fire that hunger to just keep pushing and learning and training hard and getting better like i would feel it was a waste of a session back in my early days if i didn't break a sweat where my hair wasn't all yeah. saturated, right <laughs> out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, what did I achieve today? Right. I needed yeah. that. It was part of my makeup, that real hard training. So there is a place for that too. Yep. Right. And this is where you have your, your intense classes or competition classes where you find a name for it. Cause maybe some of these people don't want to compete, but they just want to really train hard. Yeah. And that's fine too. So th there needs to be that also created. Yeah. Um, or understood, yeah. right? It's a beautiful balance when you find that, right? When when you have mm -hmm. that, when you have that twenty five year old former you know college wrestler that can come in and grind it out. But but my favorite part about that is when you have that fifty five year old executive talking to that twenty five year old former wrestler after class, and they're like buddies. 
right? Because, you know, they may be um, more seasoned and competitive on the mats, but that 55-year-old is more seasoned and competitive off the mats. So there's a lot that they can share, and they, there's this bond that gets created almost organically, right? They, they just, you know, he gets, the, the 55-year-old guy gets throttled, and they're laughing about it after, and they're talking, and maybe they exchange numbers, and they, you know, it helps them, you know, get a job, or, you know, you know the deal. It kind of cascades, right? Like, when, within the jiu-jitsu community, it's very rare that somebody goes, man, I lost my job, I can't find one. And somebody goes, what kind of job are you looking for, right? It's very rare, because we all share that I guess through suffering we kind of share that common bond don't we yeah Yeah. well and that's the beauty of the jiu-jitsu community but I will say that that's not across the board Mm. so that's clearly a culture that you've created um and awesome gyms that I've been around are the same but um going back to this whole like black belt toxicity worship hierarchy thing there are gyms that don't operate that way yeah and there there's this mentality from the from the guys who are amazing athletes that can beat everyone up in the gym, actually regardless of belt they are, they could be a purple belt demolishing everyone, right? There's this arrogance going on and they're so switched off and closed off when they're in that environment that they can't actually see that that uh, 55-year-old white belt man has any value at all. Mm. Wow. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's part of this toxicity, this arrogance, this black belt worship thing. And I'm like, oh, hate it. And and I'm like, wow, I I can't believe, like, I'm observing or whatever back in the earlier days or whatever, I'm observing going, wow, like that lack of wisdom that that athlete has, because I guarantee you that that older business executive has a ton of knowledge to share in life. Or, you know, what if he's a hotshot lawyer? What if he's a multimillionaire and walks out of the car park and um, goes into his McLaren? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, right. And so that's what I'm saying. It's like this <clears throat> level of like closed mindedness and limited thinking and lack of wisdom that to think that you're you're so hot there, but step out of the gym, you're nothing. You might right. be this like hotshot purple belt athlete, but you step at the gym, you're like, well. Crap, I can't afford to buy myself lunch today. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or my car broke down. I don't, I I can't fix it or whatever. You know that that kind of See stuff. It? Yeah, yeah. That's it. So, so let's put it all in perspective. As part of this inclusiveness, yes, your belt rank is really important. You earned it, all that. But let's just have overall respect for everyone on the mat. The mum with five kids, the yeah. business executive, to you know the fourteen-year-old girl who is is uh trying to empower herself that's too shy to utter a word to anyone you know like yeah yeah this is about yeah I, I i i love that because um you know i'm i'm the uh, kids coach as as the uh, you know the i'm also the the evening coach but the kids is like my really my my passion that's that's really where i, where I love uh being because you know some some kids you know I, I i know like for myself growing up you know i my my dad was always working so whenever there was baseball games or anything like that, you know, it was me. My mom would show up every once in a while, but she was, you know, we had, she had three other kids to deal with. So it was really difficult, but, um, everything was like ride the bike to the park and, you know, go, go practice and then go to the game on, you know, on Saturday or whatever it was. But, you know, I didn't realize the impact that it had on me because I really, you know, you know, I, I would see people with their dads and moms at those games. And I, I really didn't pay too much attention because my normal is my normal. But mm-hmm. having that that figure that really genuinely cares about, you know, 
your progress, I think it's crucial. Even if a parent or not, it could be a coach, it could be a mentor, anything like that. I think that goes a long way. So uh, a friend of mine told me once, you know, um, I told him about my life story and things that I failed in and stuff like that. And he said, you know, you were one mentor away from having a very different life. And that really hit me like a truck. And I'm like, maybe I could be that one mentor to that kid or and again, anybody under 30 <laughs> or even that's that 55 year old exact or 67 year old person who just wants to get into something, right. Wants to be a part of a community. Maybe I could be that person that provides that. I love it. Well, and you are clearly, <laughs> Thank you. and you know, by you doing these podcasts and stuff too, it's just, I call it spreading the light, mm. you know, um, some of the ladies asked me what was in the black belt curriculum. And I'm like, you know, I haven't actually created one like like all the other belts. I said because the biggest thing I'm looking at is how you're giving back in the community and yeah. what your attitude is. Yeah. I don't care how good you are on the mat, jujitsu. If you're an asshole, <laughs> you're not getting that. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's because a lot that's to it. that once you're in that, once you have that belt around your waist you are automatically in that mentor position or authority position, whether you want to be in it or not. Yeah. Yeah. You are because yeah. people assume they make the assumption that you, you've got your stuff together and yeah. that you're a good person. All right. And none right. of that actually fits. Yeah. Right. Um, they make that assumption and yeah. And then they look up to you and they listen to what you say and what you say does have an impact. Do you get some black belt telling you that that technique was crap or no, you shouldn't compete. I really don't think you're very good. Like that sticks. Yes, it does. Yeah. It, it, and so, it, yeah, you are already a mentor. I'm already a mentor. And I think these days that you get your black belt, if you're teaching or you're just out, even compete, competing, people are seeing you. Yeah. They're watching. Yeah. Your actions are everything. Yeah. So you are I, I, mentoring. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, I try. I, I try my best. But, you know, let's let's I want to go back real quick to the uh, black belt. The what did you call it? The toxicity that you see in some black belts. Um, as a student, I think it's crucial for you to have that kind of um, oh gosh, that kind of like senses, the spidey senses you were talking about, the, 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 the radar, because when you get your black belt from somebody, that's forever. You're tied to that person forever. It doesn't matter if you switch academies or you go to a different association or you become, you know, under, you go under uh, Sophia, you know, McDermott, you're still tied to that black belt forever. So being able to decipher like, this guy just isn't a good guy or this, this woman just isn't a good person or I need to go to a different academy. I can't get my black belt under this person for X, Y, or Z. I think it's important even as a student to be able to do that, but it's very, I, I'm sure it's very difficult for them to say, you know, it's a, it's a devil. I know, you know, I'm going to, where am I going to go? Right. It's a scary thing for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, and there is still this, uh, a part of this black belt toxicity is the demand uh, for loyalty, mm. blinding loyalty yeah. that you cannot leave that gym you cannot go train anywhere else. Yes. Oh my God. This is so old. The story is just so old. And it is shifting. Don't get me wrong. It is shifting. So, yeah, I think, I think students, and I've said this a bunch of times, students, jiu jitsu is a business. 
essentially you are a paying member if you are not happy with the service you can leave at any time yeah absolutely this is america like seriously this is the land of the free so if anyone thinks that they're truly pigeonholed and stuck and they can't go anywhere else it is an illusion that they've put upon themselves yeah always other options yeah and and i guarantee that if a student left my academy to go to a different instructor because they didn't you know they didn't like you know my, maybe my values didn't align with theirs okay sure i guarantee it's not going to be a reflection on the student it's going to be a reflection on me so if you're afraid of what other people think about you don't worry about that right there's no such thing as a bad student ever right i make mistakes we all make mistakes but at the end of the day it's your let's call it journey right you get to mm-hmm. choose your path Mm. Right. And, and, and I'm talking to the to the paying customer in the, you know, like you said, this is America. You get to choose your path. And if that path is through, you know, me, through the instructor that you have currently. Awesome. If it's not make the change, people's needs just change. That's all it is. That's it. Yeah. Yep. It shouldn't be uh, all that guilt put mm. on there mm. and obligation and false sense of duty that's been put from this culture and toxic coaches doesn't exist. So, yeah. 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 Well, listen, um, we've been going for about an hour and I'd, I'd, I'd like to, I, I ask uh, all the uh, black belts the same two questions at the end. And if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you two questions. Um, yes. Number one is um, your legacy. How do you want to be remembered? Hmm. Uh, I want to be remembered as someone, a woman in a patriarchal sport that's, that's broken all the barriers that you can as you go along. Um, and helped pave the way to provide other opportunities for women. I love it. I love it. And the last question, what do you want all of the black belts that you promote to have in common? Um, kindness, honor, and respect. Well said. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Well, listen, um, let's let everybody know how they can find you uh, to do seminars, to, to go on your online training programs, just uh, any kind of, you know, uh, social media. Fire yes. Off. Okay. So um, my online women's community is called Lethal Ladies and that's lethal-ladies.com. In there is also the Empowered Pro section where you can learn from me, join me for live classes, um, whole curriculum, database courses, drills, uh, accelerated learning because it's women specific. But uh, it's also opening up so it's not just me, it's other awesome practitioners um, sharing their skill set. So highly recommend it, ladies, jump on. Uh, my Instagram is Sophia McDermott BJJ. Um, yeah. And, uh, my fitness stuff is Sophia McDermott.com. So I love it. I and, love uh, it. just shout out to Fuji too. Fuji sports have been uh, sponsoring me for many, many years. They believed in me and my mission way back. So just shout out to them. They make amazing gear for men and women. So yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I'd love to have you in the studio if you're ever in Arizona. I actually want to schedule a, uh, a, a seminar with you if I could. So we'll stay on after and kind of talk about how to do that. That would be amazing. I would be honored. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank Alex. you. Sophia. Thank you. so. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you.